to the DMF. I am your host, Justin Yachts, and this is episode 40. So, on this episode, we're going to talk about, well, I want to talk about how it feels to do 40 episodes. Uh, We're going to discuss some books I read, some films, and I'm going to take on a controversial, oh, as well as um, The Mandalorian, but we are also going to take on this controversial um, subject and topic of defund the police. And I'm going to look at it from both sides and, well, I'm going to tell you what I think it means and where the dangers of it lie. So stay tuned. So let's talk about 40 episodes. Wow. It's been almost six months. I started this on uh, June 19th, and I've tried to be consistent every week. And I did more episodes as I got more comfortable. And here we are at 40. That's amazing. I hope to end the year with uh, 50. But I want to say thank you to everyone who has listened. And yeah, 40 episodes. That still amazes me. But it just goes to show that if you start at something and you work at it, you can have 40 episodes. You know, it's not undoable. First, you know, first time I was thinking about it, I was just like, can I do this? And I was just like, yes, I can. And so here we are, and I mean, probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. (sighs) Beeps. I've got everything turned off. I have it on silent and I'm still getting beeps. That's amazing. Well, what can you do? So yeah, 40 episodes. Yes, I mean, I hope to do this for many years to come, so we're just getting started here. And I've got many interviews hopefully to come and special subjects, not just on wrestling, but I hope to go back and do some film. I hope to do entrepreneurs. I hope to bring in as many different people and different ideas as I can as I grow this. As far as I'm concerned, the DMF is inclusive. It stands for everything that I want to talk about. So. That's amazing, though. (laughs) I'm sorry. It just, you know, it's nice to know that, you know, I started this and I was was nervous and I've done it and now I have 40 episodes under my belt and I hope to get better and just more concise and bring in more guests and just continue to entertain and enlighten and inform you, no matter how how that may be. I mean, I hope to also bring in uh, YouTube that's a little slower than I'd like, but I really want to do it right. I don't want to just um, put it out there. And it's been hard because with YouTube, you have the video aspect of it. So it needs to look a certain way. With here, I'm just dealing with audio and, you know, I, you know, outline scripts and I have everything written down that I want to talk about. but. So it's a little different. Um, 
when I first started off, I just wanted to do, um, first I was doing, you know, basically a movie, um, separate movies uh, individually. And I realized that I do want to go back to that format, but I don't want that. I wanted to talk about movies, but maybe not so in depth because that took like weeks. Sometimes I was, you know, researching for two weeks straight on something and it was like, okay, now I got to, you know, do this. And the more, you know, I, I realized that the more I did, the better I could be at it. So that's just a little bit of that. And as I said, thank you. So let's move on to books I read. So this is going to be a little different here because I'm going to actually put in a book that I haven't read, but someone else read. But let's start off with the book that I did read. I finished The Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakahani. I had read it before, but now reading it again after this pandemic and after all this meditation and all this different ideas I have about that topic has come in, I feel um, more comfortable with the book. And I feel like I understand more. And it's almost more of a review. But you're looking at it from a different perspective. Um, I like his idea to meditation. His idea to meditation is different than a lot of um, ideas of meditation. Most ideas of meditation are to clear the mind, and he believes in using the mind. And he talks about gratitude. He talks about, um, you know, wow, I just went blank. Gratitude, forgiveness. He said that when he was um, hooked up Vishen to um, all these electrodes, the highest response that brought in the alpha waves was forgiveness. And I thought that was interesting. Forgiveness is the was the most powerful. I wonder if that goes into gamma waves. There's, as we said in previous episode, a long, long, long time ago, six months ago, and that was probably one of my earlier episodes when I went through um, alpha, delta, beta, and... Um, Forget my own. I forget my own things. Um, well, gamma was one of the delta, beta, alpha, and um, gamma. <laughs> I can't believe I have to look this up. But here's the thing: when you're talking about all these uh, things, you don't know what you're going to talk about. I mean, you have an idea of what you're talking about, but then you go off. Into the, with this uh, 40th episode, I just wanted to kind of explain a little bit more of um, what some of that was. Let's see here. Yes, but gamma waves, that is the, um, that is the highest. For some reason, I'm not getting it. This is so frustrating. When you need something and you can't find it. Well, we have, okay, here we go. Alpha waves, we have beta waves, we have theta waves, delta waves, then we have gamma waves. And one of the highest was forgiveness. So I always try to think about that now. Forgiveness. What kind of waves is happening when I forgive? So I recommend you read this book. It's really interesting. He really puts things into perspective. Here's somebody who, you know, got a job right out of college 
was working for Bill Gates and he wasn't happy and he ended up getting fired and then he ended up taking up a little dial-up job, you know, doing, you know, you know, telemarketing stuff. And he did that and that from medit and it was and then he discovered meditation. Meditation brought him to all these things and he created Mind Valley, which if you aren't familiar with Mind Valley, I suggest you, you know, type it in. There's different courses. Um, I have some from um, Marissa Peer and um, Christine Marie Sheldon. Was a one, these are wonderful teachers that you can learn a lot from. But his book is really just um, a really encompassing of all those of all those ideas and talking about you know you know we look back at Steve Jobs and you talk about think differently. Well, in some ways, he's kind of continuing that same thought process. And he goes into religion. It's like, there's things you can take from the Western religions and the Eastern religions and, and form your own religion as opposed to just following what's been idea. You know, what is your idea of marriage? What is your idea of happiness? What is your idea? What is that idea? And go for that. As opposed to it being defined. And he calls those rules rules, which um, stands for uh, bull, sh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I try not to curse on here, so that's one of the things that I said I wasn't going to do. I wasn't, wasn't going to curse. So, so he came up with that, the, the rules, and it's like, you know, here's a rule, um, go to school, get a better job, okay? That's, that might work for someone, but it might not work for you. Maybe your job is something else. Maybe your job is going somewhere else. Maybe your job is, is going to another country and, and teaching them something. Perhaps it's, it's not always uh, quantified by a degree in, um, in academics or in academia. <laughs> so th those are some of the things that he talks about and it's just a fascinating book. This is my second time reading it, and I think I might read it a third time because I enjoyed it so much. I'm going to read his um, his newest book that came out, I believe, this year. And um, yeah, please read the Code of the Extraordinary Mind by Vishen Lakahani. Wonderful book. This might be one of my favorite books I've ever read, and that's covering a lot of ground. The second book I want to talk about. It's not a book I actually read, it's a book that my mother read, and it's called The Omnivore's Dilemma, A Natural History of Four Meals by Michael Bolin. This is an interesting book because it discusses how our food is coming to us. It's discussing how things like, how they're, how they're fattening up the cow so much. And one of the things I didn't know about is the corn. They're feeding them corn instead of grass. And cows don't even like corn, but they're force-feeding them this thing. This, these are the things that... Now, this book was written in 2006, and this is the young adult's version. It's not the actual adult version, which I think I'm going to uh, track this book down and read that. But he's written several books. He's a, he's a very interesting um, character. You can see... Um, interviews with him and he's talked about the uh, the benefits of psychedelics which um, after Nixon 
Nixon kind of nixed all um, research from the government on psychedelics. And we're finding more and more with psychedelics that it's able to help with concussions. It's able to help with an innumerable um, amount of uh, things. I haven't done the exact research because I wasn't planning on going <laughs> into this uh, topic right now. I wanted to really talk about the thing, but um, Omnivore's Dilemma, I, I like just kind of scanned a little bit of it and it talked about, you know, salmon and how it's, you know, basically, you know, he talked about um, whole foods and where they're going, to, who their supplier is. Is it actually organic? No, it's not. They're not letting the chickens run around. They are in cages. But they are not feeding them corn. They are feeding them different things. Now, there are some farmers who do allow their um, animals to roam free. So there are some people doing this. And it's, it looks like a very interesting book. Another book that I uh, came across, I haven't read it, but uh, I believe it's um, Sugar, Salt, and Fats. And it's all about um, how, the, how pretty much um, food companies are masking these agents and using them as masking agents to um, taste and to things and... They feel as if they're not really doing anything wrong. They're kind of just um, serving the public what they want, which in some ways you could say is true. I mean, if we stopped buying this stuff and it didn't make money, people wouldn't do that. But the problem is with a lot of things like back in the day, you, you would eat the whole, you know, people don't want to eat an entire cow, you know. They just want little bits and pieces. So that's kind of how we got on this road. But it sounds like a fascinating book, and I am definitely going to find a chance to read it. Uh, another book I finished was uh, Pam Grout's E-Square. And as I said before, a lot of fascinating um, subjects and um, experiments you can do to test how things work in the universe. And it's quite astounding at some of the things that you can see with this uh, with this book. So um, I recommend reading that book as well. I recommend reading all these books. So those are the books I read. And when we come back, I'm going to discuss the films. So the first film I want to talk about is Mulan and the new movie that came out in 2020. Now it just came to Disney Plus and I was like as soon as it came to Disney Plus I was going to sit down and watch it. And I did. And I thoroughly enjoyed this film. Um, let's talk a little bit about who directed it. It's directed by Nikki Caro. She directed uh, Whale Rider, North Country with Charlize Theron. McFarland USA and The Zookeeper's Wife. That was with um, Jessica Chastain. It um, stars um, Yifei Lu, Donnie Yen, who's an amazing martial artist. Uh, Zima plays the father. Jason Scott Lee plays Bori Khan. Uh, Yosan An and uh, Miami Via. Um, Via? 
Gong Gong Li uh, plays um, uh, this sorceress, and uh, Jet Li plays, I believe, the king. The music is done by Harry Gregson uh, Williams, and I loved this. Um, I loved this um, this score. It's actually a score I've gone back and I've listened to, and I've I've really enjoyed. And I like Harry Gregson's um, Williamson's uh, scores. He did um, he did Wonder Woman, and uh, he did some of uh, the film Shame. So I like his um, his taste and the, the sounds he uses, and he's got such a you know it's such a dynamic sound. Um, for those that want kind of the music that just kind of blends into the background, I wouldn't say he's for you. But for somebody that like really enjoys good scoring, that to me, I, I like I liked what he did. Um, uh, there's well, I can't really talk about this until I get into the uh, spoilers, but. I think this is a great film. I they take away it, it's not a musical. The original Disney film is a musical and more of a comedy. This is more of a, a drama and um, a coming of age story. And I don't think I can go any further into this film without going into spoilers and I don't want to spoil it for somebody. So I am going to go to spoilers now. Okay. You've been warned. I like this film. I like the scenes. Um, I like the scene where she um, finally lets her hair down and she's like, I am a woman and I'm going to go fight this battle. And I'm not going to hide behind being a man. Whereas in the Disney film, they kind of discover that she's a woman. She doesn't really have the realization that she is a, that she's going to just do it and be a woman and take the consequences, even though that could be death or expulsion. So I like this revelation more because she gets to, you know, make the decision. Whereas in the other one, she's just kind of discovered. So this one is such more of a, a coming of age story. We see that she's really good at martial arts at a very early age. And we see that she can't really, she has to hide it. You know, you could say she's kind of a tomboy, but I don't think she's more of a tomboy. She's just somebody that, you know, is different than... Than most of the women in, the, in this time period, especially in uh, feudal uh, China. So, I like I like how they um, they introduced that aspect to it. Um, the battles are really good. Um, the ending kind of wraps up fast, but you know the Disney movie did the same exact thing. Now there's no talking dragon. There is a there's a dragon that's following her. I guess that's Mushu, but there's no um, jive talking um, <laughs> character who's gonna sing songs and do things like that. There's no um, I'll make a man out of how um, someday I'll make a man out of you. That that song. There's no Donnie Osmond, even though there is a Donnie Yen, and he plays one of the uh, the commanding officers, and he kind of notices that she's different. She has um like a romantic interest in there, and they they have a lot of good chemistry there. I I liked it. I th I thought it was shot well. Uh, a lot of people didn't like this film after seeing it. Myself, I don't really see what their problems are. I feel like if you nitpick it, yeah, you could see that. But I didn't mind Aladdin either. 
the things I didn't like, but you know, well, you know, who doesn't? What, what, there are very few films that I'm going to see and be like, I agree with every single thing. But I thought this was very serviceable. Um, it gives children and young girls something to look up to because she's a strong character. I kind of compare her to Moana, where she stands above the test. You know, she stands for something, and she's she's willing to fight for that. And here she is hiding, and there's a point where you know she doesn't want to take a shower because <laughs> no, she's a woman, so she's out you know bathing and the thing, and a guy comes there and kind of wants to be friends with her. And she's like, we can never be friends. And it's not because she doesn't want to be friends. It's because she has to hide everything. And there's a point where she meets the sorceress. And the sorceress kind of convinces her to, to you know, to change. And she finally is just like, that's it. And we see her take off her armor. And she lets her hair down. And she goes and she, you know, takes care of business. I, I I thoroughly I, I really enjoyed this. This is a movie I'm probably gonna go back and watch. I liked. I thought this was one of the better live action ones. As I've said before, I did not like The Lion King, um, the la last year's version, but I liked this. I thought this was good. This is what I wanted it to be, and I think it's I think it's good. You know, it's not a musical. It's not going to have her singing Reflection, but Reflection is in there at the end credits. So I thought it was good. So I recommend watching Mulan. So go see it. Now, the next film I'm going to talk about, this, this might be my favorite film next to Tenant of this year. And that is Mank, directed by David Fincher. And uh, this was on Netflix, and this is about the story of uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz and how he came to uh, write Citizen Kane. And it's all about the backstory and William Randolph Hearst and all those characters. And it's just an amazing film. I, I so thoroughly, I so enjoyed this film. This, this was my favorite film of. 2020, right next to Tenet. I think this might be a little bit, you know, they're like neck and neck there. But it's directed by David Fincher, who did uh, The Social Network. So he's very good at, you know, betrayal and aspects of that. He did Seven. He did Fight Club. He did a film that a lot of people don't like, but I do, Alien 3, and he's kind of disowned that. Um, he did The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, um, Gone Girl. I think Gongo is like his last um, cinematic film. So here he is. He comes back. Um, yeah, 2015, I think was. Um, or was it 2014? Was it 13? I'm not sure exactly when uh, Gone Girl came out, but it's been a while since we've gotten uh, a David Fincher film, and this is uh, Mank. And uh, the uh, the acting. Let's talk about it. Gary Oldman's in it. Amanda Seyfried. Lily Collins, Joseph Cross, Charles Dance, Tuppence Middleton, uh, Toby Leonard Moore, uh, Tom Burke, and once again we get a fantastic score from Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. These guys 
they can like do no wrong. Their scores are just so different and so layered and so perfect. Uh, all I can say is go see this. You may not, you may find it um, tedious at times, but this is a dialogue film. This is not an action film. If you want an action film, go watch Mulan. Watch the new Wonder Woman. This is real film. Well, they're all real films, but this is a film that, you know, this is a David Fincher film, and his are dialogue-based. Even when you have something like a fight club. I, I just love this film. So I'm going to talk about spoilers now because there's just no other way for me to do it other than talk about spoilers. So here we go. All right, spoilers, you've been warned. Gary Oldman plays uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz. He, he wrote Citizen Kane. Uh, Amanda Seyfried plays uh, William Randolph Hearst's wife, who is kind of the um, the inspiration for um, Charles Foster Kane's one of his wives in um, in the film uh, Citizen Kane. Lily Collins is kind of the person that's helping Gary Oldman's character write because he has a car wreck early into the film. Uh, Joseph Cross, I, I liked him in Running with Scissors. Uh, he's um, he has, he has a little bit part. Charles Dance plays um, William Randolph Hearst. And, uh, whew, wow, he does a great job. Uh, Tuppence Middleton, uh, that plays his wife. Um, she's kind of just kind of, you know, sprouted out of nowhere. Well, she's done some, some films here and there. And here she is um, with this. This is a great, this is a good role. For uh, Toby Leonard Moore from Billions, uh, he is... Um, yeah, I forget this character's name. Tom Burke. Tom Burke uh, plays um, plays Orson Welles. So for me, uh, Citizen Kane is one of my favorite films. So this is just um, this film really just touches on a lot of um, the things that I've known about. A lot of people always, um, it's never really been talked about, but Randolph, Citizen Kane is basically William Randolph Hearst. Charles Foster Kane is William Randolph Hearst. And um, after this movie, this a lot of people believe William Randolph Hearst did everything he could to sabotage the film. Um, he probably stopped uh, Citizen Kane from winning uh, Best Picture, but he was not able to stop it from getting screenplay which um, Herman J. Mankiewicz gets. And there's a point where uh, they kind of were just going to pay him off or whatever, and he says he wants credit. And they're very upset, and uh, Orson Welles is very upset because he knows this is going to hurt the film. Because it's basically going to tell everyone that it is, um, <laughs> that they're talking about William Randolph Hearst. So, um, yeah, Tom Burke, who plays um, Orson Welles, he does a very good job at certain points. Certain points, his um, his uh, dial, his natural dialect comes through, and it's not Orson Welles, Orson Wellians. Um, he played Billy in uh, a film called uh, Only God Forgives. Uh, he plays like the brother of uh, Ryan Gosling in that film. So I like his work. Uh, Charles Dance, I've loved him ever since I first saw him in uh, Alien Three. So. He's an amazing actor, and he does a great job here. 
and it really the way he shoots it it kind of feels like it's citizen kane because you know you can see a lot of the scenes are almost playing tribute to citizen kane there's part where they're walking around his park which is basically uh, xanadu and uh, citizen kane um they talk a lot about um socialism here and the fdr and this uh, I think at this time Upton Sinclair was trying to run for uh, mayor of uh, Los Angeles, was a governor, and the, the uh, studios did everything they could to stop because they wanted a Republican in there. And this was, you know, FDR time. They really didn't like that FDR was um, kind of, you know, attacked the banks. There's a point where um, the head of the studio comes in and says, we can only pay you half wages, <laughs> you know. So it's very timely to what we're going through now because a lot of people feel that, you know, socialism isn't the worst thing. But you can see here, you know, that they're using the, the power of the press to destroy socialism and to paint it as communism. And they have little quotes here and there and there. But it's very applicable to our times right now because we're still going through this socialism argument. There's still people that are firmly against it, even though they don't really know what it means, and they try to mislead people. And you see them doing that, the studios. And William Randolph Hearst is kind of at the top of that. And one of the things that kind of causes Herman J. Mankiewicz to, to you know, want to take him down is he's seeing the corruption, and he's seeing that, that thing, and his friend at one point dies. So he kind of wants to get back at Hearst. Plus, you know, they, they're all kind of upset because um, his, um, uh, the character that Amanda Seyfried, they think that, you know, she comes off bad in this. And he has a meeting with her and he says, it wasn't about you. You know, I didn't want to hurt you. This is, to me, this is the best film of the year. This is the film that should win the Oscar. I don't know if it will. It doesn't look like it will. It looks like um, the, the one um, about the six or the five. Central Park Five, yeah, I think that's what. It, yeah, I forget what the name of the uh, the film is on Netflix, but this is the film that should win. Mank, it's all about movie making and the world of that, and it introduces all the politics that we're going through at this time, right now. You know, a lot of people are looking for FDR, and we don't have an FDR. And here you can see this is when they had FDR and you can tell all the power, the powerful wanted to destroy him and he was able to, to, to upset them, you know. But I, I really like this film. I, I, I can't keep saying, I, I keep saying that, but it's an amazing film. It, I've, the tone, it just feels like almost the successor to Citizen Kane, even though it's showing the backstory of Citizen Kane and the way it's shot and the black and white and just mm, such good stuff. If you want to see a great film, see Mank. I may have to do a longer in-depth discussion on uh, Citizen Kane. I might try and do um, Mank and Citizen Kane together but I need to do a lot of research on that. And at this time, I don't really have the time to do that kind of research at this point in time. So those are the films I've uh, that I've watched, and I recommend both of them.
Mandalorian Episode 6, Season 2, Chapter 14 Well, this is an amazing episode. If you haven't seen it, go see it. This is everything you've been waiting for. There's no way to talk about this without talking about spoilers. So, that's all I'm going to say. It's awesome. It's terrific. Go watch it. So, spoilers. Here we go. So, this is an interesting episode. This was directed by Robert Rodriguez. John Favreau wrote it. And it is called The Tragedy. And this is where Moff Gideon gets his revenge. Because at the end of this episode, Groku, Grogu, yeah, Grogu, is captured. The child has been captured. He brings him to the uh, the planet Typhon and puts him on the on the the um, on the, um, the Jedi. Um, I forget what it's called. Like the stone, it's like a temple, a symbol to call out to the Jedi's. And we see him kind of use all his power to like just you know calling out to somebody. So somebody we don't know who is probably going to come and help him. But the cool thing that happens here is uh, Boba Fett shows up along with Fem Shard, uh, Ming Na Zen. Uh, uh, Boba Fett um, is looking for his armor. And he wants his armor, and, you know, he threatens to, you know, attack, you know, Yoda. And he says that you have my armor. And the Empire comes, and they kind of sabotage him. And we finally, the, finally Boba Fett gets his armor, and the way they introduce him, it's so cool. He just shows up, shoots everybody. He doesn't have the full armor yet, because, you know, he's still got, like, this black robe on. So it kind of makes him look kind of weird. You know, so he doesn't look exactly like, but he's got like the, you know, the blast shield and that, you know, the the familiar helmet, so, and all the gadgets, so, that was cool. We finally got to see him, and then, um, they, also the, uh, the ship, um, the Razorcrest is destroyed in this episode. So, Boba Fett is now, uh, so, so, um, he makes a deal with Boba Fett. To, you know, he would give him the you know, the armor if, you know, he would take care of, you know, the child. And he feels like since the, the child got abducted, he didn't fulfill his, he didn't fulfill his part of the bargain. So he is in his debt. So now it's going to be Boba Fett and uh, Femme, um, I forget, you know, she was shot in uh, Tatooine. And so also we went and... Um, Found uh, Gina Carano's character, I forget her name, um, who's now probably going to go and help him uh, find uh, Moff Gideon. And the very end of the episode, we see uh, them trying to to get um, they're trying to get a uh, little baby uh, Yoda, the child, Grogu. And he's like, you know, using his force powers to throw the uh, the stormtroopers all around the world, you know, all around the uh, around his cell. 
and Moff Gideon sees him, shows him the dark saber, and he says, you know, you're using all your magic, but the thing that happens is it makes you very, very sleepy. And then he has one of the uh, stormtroopers uh, stun him, and they put him in shackles. So poor little Grogu is captured, and the Mandalorian is, you know, hell-bent on getting him back. So we only got two episodes left, and that looks like that's where we're going. The um, the rescue of little Grogu. It was really cool. This everything about it. You know, you got to see the Empire. You got to see Moff Gideon. You got to see Boba Fett. You got these battle scenes. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. Yes, that's his name. Was the perfect choice for this because he just. Nailed it out of the park. And we called it the tragedy, but this was the best episode. And I stayed up. I watched it at 3 o'clock when it debuted because I was like, I have to see this immediately. And I'm probably going to have to do that on on the, this Thursday, uh, Friday night or Friday morning so I can watch it first thing because I don't want anyone spoiling this. But this was good. It had so much heart to it. And see Boba Fett again also you saw Slave 1 which we haven't seen and so we, I mean that that was the big first thing when I saw Slave 1 I was like oh my god there there he is it's, it's, it's Boba Fett he has come back now one question I have is Ashoka did she have him go onto the temple to trap him is this part of a trap I don't, I don't, I don't think so but you know just laying out the theories here what what um why'd she have him go to typhon and who's the jedi that's gonna come and help him could it be luke skywalker which would be so cool could it be uh one's dead at this point um yeah could it be um i think it's gonna be luke skywalker I think they're going to go out with a bang here, and I, I think he's the the perfect person to to have him come. Or somebody else might come. Who knows? But uh, they're building up to something really cool, and they have not disappointed once, so I, I can't wait. I just cannot wait. I just love, 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 love The Mandalorian. And I think I'm going to do a retrospective with a friend on the Mandalorian, so we can go more in depth on these um, on this show, and look at the first season as well as the second season when it's finished. Now let's get to how do I discuss this in a fair and balanced way. We're going to talk about defund the police. I know this is um, a risky topic, but I want to try and look at it from both sides. Now, unfortunately, what has kind of happened is defund the police has become this subject that people think means abolish the police. And it doesn't necessarily mean abolish the police. It's the idea of re-envisioning the idea of the police, Alloc reallocating the, um, the resources. Now, if you look at the left, the side of the left, they see the police as somebody that's doing more harm than good. And when jobs were in need, police were sent instead. Mass incarceration, more of 
guardians to keep the peace as opposed to people to help with problems. The way I've always seen it as the police are supposed to be the people that help solve problems. They can't solve all of them, but they can try and solve as many as they can. That's always how I saw the police. But now we're seeing that the police are, you know, people who are in custody are getting killed. So there's this problem and we're seeing, you know, a lot of weight being thrown around. So they want to take some of those and they're also seeing these budgets all go to a police that's not really working. And people are really living in fear of the police. So that's why they're saying that we need to reallocate some of these resources and come up with our idea of the police because the police are not capable of handling with subjects such as mental health. So how do we make the police the friendly face? I think that's what, that's what the left really wants with defund the police. Now on the other side, they see defunding the police as if you take money from them, they're going to not have the means to do any policing. And they feel like it would be almost abolishing it. And it would be allowing anarchy to rule. Th that people are going to commit more crimes, crime will rise. That's how they see it on the right. I believe they see it on the right. I think that I, I, may, I may be wrong. But this is kind of, I'm trying to find the practical matter, ideas of how both sides see it. One sees it as lawlessness will run amok. The other sees it as we need to change the idea of the police. And by doing that, we need to take away some of the money we're giving to the police whereas the others say if we do that we're going to you're going to lose the police entirely because they're not going to have the money to do any policing and there are there are arguments be made on both sides in some ways i do think the police do need to be remade into a friendlier face they should not be the people of fear but on other side do we let looting and things like that continue to happen we need somebody to take in these situations. And the only way to do that, my stomach just rumbled. <laughs> the only way we can do that is by really, you know, keeping them as the power, as the power of fear in some ways, but continuing to slowly change it. One, I think, wants to do something rapid and the other kind of wants to ease into it. I could be wrong, but this is kind of how I see it. So, there, as I said, there are arguments to be made on both sides, but let's just get this out of the way right now. Defund the police does not mean abolish the police, even though that is what is trying to be, they're trying to frame that. The media has done a wonderful job trying to frame defund the police is abolish the police without even saying it but just kind of saying defund the police do you really want to say that and when you throw that question out there the, the thing that goes through your mind is like oh get rid of the police completely but that's not what they want what they want is to change the idea of what the police stand for and the other side here they want they think that that will lead to just anarchy so you got two ideas there I don't know which is right. I think something in the middle is going to be the compromise that would work. I think we need to change the image of the police. 
But we can't just get rid of the police completely because lawlessness could run amok. We don't know. It hasn't been tested. You know, it's a very radical, it could be a radical idea that could um, turn itself on its head and turn into a monster that we didn't think was going to happen and that we might not be able to control. You know, we let the genie out of the bottle, but, you know, can we get the genie back in the bottle? <laughs> sort of idea. So I see the I see the arguments on both sides, but let's just make that firmly clear. Defund the police does not mean abolish the police. It means change the idea of police and reforming the police. But one side, but the other side says we don't want that because that would lead to lawlessness because there won't be enough police and there won't be enough money to do it. Who's right and wrong? I don't know. I think that's up for you to decide. But it's certainly a topic that needs to be had and discussed. And it doesn't seem like it's being discussed. We're seeing one point of view and then the other point of view. And they both don't want to agree. Somebody, We need to come together and find a mutual solution because I think there's a lot of common ground here that we can make. So... That's what I've got to say about uh, defund the police. And let's end with a nice little quote. And here it is. It's not from anybody special. It's just something I found. The pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. Let's repeat that. The pain you feel today will be the strength you feel tomorrow. So though it's similar to that last quote that I did two weeks ago. Um, you know, it, it, it may be hard now, but later you're going to be thanking yourself because you did the work then to prepare for the future. I think that's what that means. You know, it's going to be hard, you know, it's, it's hard to get up a mountain, you know, it's steep, you got to claw, climb, but when you get up there, you're thankful you did it. And I think that's the same idea here. Do it. And then be then you'll be thankful you did do it. That you took those heavy steps. Same thing with this podcast. You know, if I sat down and said, Oh, it's gonna take so much work, it's gonna be all this editing, I don't know what I'm doing, what am I trying, you know, I wouldn't do anything. But then I but I realized I have something to say and I want to say it. And I want to talk about films, and I want to talk about politics, and I want to talk about books, and I want to talk about wrestling, and I want to talk about all these different ideas. And this gives me a platform to do it. So start now, and then when you look back, what do I see? 40 episodes. So at the end of this 40th episode, I want to say thank you for listening. As always, you can reach me at my name, Justin Yance, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, did I say Twitter? Facebook, Twitter, yeah, YouTube. <laughs> it's kind of late here tonight, but I wanted to get this in and I wanted to discuss this. So thank you. And yes, 40 episodes. Let's do a 40. Let's do 40 more. And I will with that I will see you next time on the DMP.